Scott, you just don't get it, do you? You don't. It's no hassle. But I'm... All I'm saying... They're gonna get away. I... I'm just... Which... Which... Knock, knock. Who's there? Look. Let me tell you a little story about a man named... Even before you start, that was a preemptive shh. Just know I have a whole bag of shh with your name on it. Welcome to Stuff We've Seen, this is Jim. And now, here he is, the new head of PR management with his clients just added this week, Evangeline Lilly and Vanessa Hutchins. You know them, you love them. Teal. (laughs) How's it going, buddy? Uh, Okay, I gotta tell you something. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 I gotta admit something here. I don't get the joke. Well, you really are social distancing yourself. You're social media distancing because you're you're not even paying attention to what's happening this week. Well, that's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna clue you in. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, because wow. I I don't I don't Evangeline Lilly. I, I mean, I know who these people are. I, I I don't know why they're in the news or why this is so, so great. Well, no, it's so great to see you take on these jobs when you don't know what you're getting into, and this is why you're like the perfect patsy. Uh, okay, so hey, there's something that's going around these days. <laughs> It's uh, it's spreading like wildfires, the coronavirus. Uh, yeah, and you know what? We're laughing because it's not. But a, it's really no laughing matter. It isn't. But I refuse. I refuse. I'm going to stay indoors. I'm going to do all that stuff. But I refuse to just not. You know, like everybody's. You know, in their own way, we're trying to deal with it. And uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to deal with here. But we we can laugh. So, anyways, <laughs> there was a couple of things. You know, when these celebrities. They, yeah. what, what, what happens now with the social distancing? They don't have their PR firms and their agents with them. Oh, right. <laughs> so when they uh, get cornered by, uh, I don't know, TMZ or whoever it is, where they're out and about somewhere. Where and then they say something that, yeah. you know, any ordinary dumb person would say, but it gets amplified because they're a celebrity. So I'm not sure who said it worse. <laughs> Vanessa Hutchins was the first one. And she had already apologized because she basically, you know, and again, this is sort of the misinformation world that we live in. Right. She's like, well... Thousands of people die from the flu every year, so I don't know what the big deal. You know, it was that whole that whole that whole line. Yeah, yeah. And so then suddenly, you know, the whole internet trounced upon her. <laughs> oh man! And then I think the better one was Evangeline Lilly. It was like a day or so ago. It was reported yesterday, but she was okay. out and about, um, probably some kind of you know uh, L.A. <laughs> spot, uh, taking her kids to some kind of you know uh, celebrity gymnastics thing. And okay. of course, people are probably camped out, uh, not social distancing themselves, just so they could right. bag anybody that came into these places. <laughs> and her whole thing was that if you really want to be free. Right, you you're either gonna live or you're gonna be free, 
and that I'm not social distancing for anybody. That's ridiculous. And that people will survive these viruses kind of thing. And then she made another statement that I'm not even sure what it means, but Mm -hmm. she alluded to something that this could be an advantage for somebody, which she didn't name for the 2020 election. And it was really unclear whether she meant that she thought that the president was going to use it to his (laughs) advantage or were uh, Democrats. I don't know. But anyway, it made it really look very privileged and very selfish. (laughs) Right. And totally clueless. And totally clueless because – Let me ask you a question because I know you're, again, more up on this than I am. Well, clearly up on the social (laughs) media aspect in Hollywood. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Yeah, that's what I mean. But I know they they, uh, postponed the James Bond movie. I think they've now postponed Mulan. Everything is postponed pretty much. Uh, Okay, yeah, because the theaters are closed. Almost, yeah. I mean, maybe there's a theater somewhere open, but all the major chains – I mean – you know, yeah. theaters, I think, you know, if you, we go back into our 90s film lore, there's that movie Outbreak, right? And My governor yesterday ordered the theaters closed. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of proactive governors are and yeah. even, you know, theaters. But this is a big thing because there is no revenue coming in for the theaters. Exactly. So I, I read that some movies are going to go directly to like a pay-per-view system. Well, okay. I think it's Universal has started this. Okay. Well, they've got releases, right? And they don't have anything, I would say, you know, they don't have any big tentpole films. Well, what? okay, so this Invisible Man movie? Yeah, that was out in theaters, but of course it was already in the start of this. So it, you know, its box office potential was okay. like cut severely. Right. So now it's on Amazon. Um, well, yeah, Amazon, and then you could rent it. Right, that's what I mean. Various streaming sources. So basically they cut the window. And before – and so this is what kind of interesting is. Before, the only thing that made them have the three-month window, whatever, was an agreement with the theater companies. But how can the theater companies complain if they're not open, you see? Yeah, so they can change the window. But uh, yeah, so I think more movies are going to be going – straight to streaming with this uh, or straight to rental with like a $20 price point. Well, that's so far what it is. And it's funny is that most of the movies that are coming out now that they're doing this for are not movies that I'm willing to spend $20 well, on. It, it, well, it is. Yeah. I mean, I think that the James Bond movie and Mulan actually were like the start of the season. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny is that I know that they don't want to lose that that revenue for the James Bond. And I would yeah. like to see this particular one on a big screen. However, I have to say that if that was the choice that was offered to me, I'd probably yeah. consider the $20 for that because then, you know, we'd all watch it and so right. there's four people get the $20 for it. And, you know, I kind of am itching to see something new. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. But uh, but uh, Invisible Man, you know, that's the one you no. wait for when it comes for free. <laughs> I would pay for Mulan. Oh, yeah. And I, and I know you have daughters and none of that, the people that's in my exa- family that's the, care about That's that. the reason why is because my family and not <laughs> it's not for myself, but my family wants to see Mulan. I understand the risk for uh, Hollywood to you put it on there and now it's like wait and see what the revenue is going to be. Yeah. And that's and, and a bunch of shows, uh, a, a bunch of uh, production is halted, too. So a bunch of pretty much everything. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like, for instance, and this is what's killing me. We're just a couple of weeks away from FX's new season of Fargo. 
Right. And they kept it pretty quiet, under wraps. You don't know too much about it, but I was excited for it. They had two episodes left to still film. They had to shut down, and now that's been delayed. Okay, so yeah, yep. I mean, there are some some series coming out, but we're going to run into a point of time and the biggest part of this crisis where uh, everybody's indoors might be over, but we're going to run into this lull where nothing new is available. Well, it's sort of like uh, the last time that happened was uh, the writer's strike. Yes. In like, two, was that like 2010 or something? I don't know. There's been several, but yeah. Yeah, but but that, w- that was a big one where like shows got shut down and stuff. Well, there's no Saturday Night Live for those who watch that and- Yep, now that, yeah. Me being one of them, so I'm screwed. <laughs> Uh, we had just, my daughter is right at the right age to sort of appreciate Saturday Night Live now. Yeah, some of my kids kind of like, they like my littlest actually likes watching it for a little bit. And he's at that age where if something strikes him as funny, he'll laugh, even though he has right. no idea what he's laughing at. Exactly. <laughs> and I think but that's there, amusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we did the same thing as kids. We were laughing, oh, yeah. but we don't. We didn't we probably didn't get every re- joke. We did not really. Yeah. I, I, I remember watching some of those. I remember like watching Eddie Murphy and then like watching the same skit 20 years later. And, and, know, and be like, oh, oh, that's <laughs> what it was about. Oh, because <laughs> like, I just didn't get the context. I didn't get the cultural references. And so I didn't, you know, didn't totally understand. Uh, I didn't, you know, like at age seven, I didn't really understand what a pimp was, for instance. Yeah, exactly. I'm still not sure I right. understand. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, so have you been watching anything? Well, you know, this is a little segue. I, we got another piece of listener mail. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It was just a, a little message, but uh, somebody, I, I don't know the person. His name is Andrew Perry. Okay. Uh, d- does that name ring a bell to you? Yes. Oh, so you know this person? No, I don't. It, 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 I think it might be somebody that I know very peripherally. Got it. Well, this person said that they listen to our show and they enjoy it. And yeah. they especially like when we talk about Criterion. Oh, cool. And, you know, we've had episodes where we talked about the Criterion Channel. Yeah, and yeah. They're actually coming up in April on their first anniversary. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and they're getting ready to have – they haven't announced what their lineup is for April. For those who don't know, but they listen to our show, you know, the Criterion Channel. Here's a plug. Let's plug that. We should plug it. They should be paying us. I know. Well, I think they do their own podcast. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> you know. But they should really consider. Well, no, us. not to do the. They should be putting ads on on our show. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so it, it, yeah. more than just the Silkwood Shower, we should get credit. exactly. We need we need more sponsors than just the Silkwood Shower. Before we go any further, I was talking about on our, my best of the decade list. Yes. This film Leviathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that somewhere? Yeah, it's on Criterion. No. Yes. Criterion Channel. Yep. Oh, this is perfect. Yes. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. Oh, when did, oh, that's so great. I didn't. You know, it's so funny. I didn't even think about that. But they do show some like recent indie favorites. Yes. I've got a. I got a couple that I've started. I'll do that. I. I they. You know, if you have Criterion Channel, which again, twelve dollars a month, I think, for those who weren't the initial subscribers. Right. It's a veritable bargain because they will keep films like sort of their key library. They'll have those on all the time. And then they, every month, 
they refresh with like new stuff and then they'll yeah. take some things away. But uh, you feel like you're always getting stuff. It took them a couple of months to really ramp up, but now they got more stuff than I ever can get to. Yeah, yeah. And it does, it's it's nice because it is, uh, you're right, you get new stuff every month, which I guess you do with Netflix, but this feels well, different well, because yeah. the stuff you get is actual stuff. Well, it's because the stuff that they <laughs> offer is very curated. So they have right. themes. So they have, if you really are interested in women filmmakers, women, women directors, you go to Criterion Channel and they really devote a large yes. section. And so I don't think there's another place you can go where you're going to get as much of a concentrated uh, library of movies from female directors. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So Leviathan is on Criterion. So I'm it's gonna, on Criterion. I'm going to yes. watch that. I, I was going to say is that I have this habit mostly with Criterion because there's a lot of foreign films and I don't always have time to concentrate and watch, you know, them from beginning to end. Right. And then at the same time, like sometimes I'm, I need a, I need a movie while I'm folding clothes. I can't really fold clothes and read subtitles at the same time. Right. <laughs> so what they do is they have to kind of keep watching and I have a list of these films that I'll kind of like, you know, watch 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Yeah. So I've got some of them and I've actually been trying to make my way through War and Peace. Oh, okay. It's the 10 hour, you know, right, collection right. and it is pretty slow. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I've got almost uh, two and a half hours out of like the 10 done. But uh, uh, but, it, but again, it's just some great stuff and we will be, I think in the next several weeks, we will be talking a lot about Criterion and what's yeah. available. And when I know the titles for April, I think probably in our next show, I'll, I'll mention some of those of what okay. people should look for. But I, it's really such a great resource. And, and especially when we can't get out into the movies, people should really consider it. Yeah. In the last week, you've probably been doing other things because one thing that people have to know is we, we do have kids and they are just like you. They're home now. <laughs> yes. And it's changed. Uh, yes. Life has changed. So you may not even just be able to get to like watching some stuff. Correct. So you haven't seen anything. And, and not, uh, no, the last movie I watched was Bone Tomahawk, and we talked about that last, last week. But you so. finished it. But I finished it. Where it gets really tomahawk -y. Oh, it gets, <laughs> that's, that's, I think the perfect adjective, yeah, <laughs> tomahawk -y. It gets really tomahawk -y. Uh I thought I had a good, satisfying conclusion. Yes. All right, I will just throw out, here is the, th this is just, it's just random, there's not a theme right. here. This is what I've been watching in the past week. I only, we only caught one episode and we really liked it. It's an FX show, so they have an FX on Hulu, which we have, uh -huh. Devs. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard good things about that, yeah. Andrew Garland, is that his name? Alex Garland. Alex Garland, the guy did Ex Magina and yeah. uh, Annihilation. I think one of his first things was The Beach. Do you remember that with the- uh, Yeah, when he wrote it, right? Or co-wrote it? Yeah, he wrote it. Yeah. Uh, Danny he Boyle directed book, it. He wrote the book, though. He wrote the book. He wrote the book yeah. and the screenplay, I think. He also wrote 28 Days Later. Yeah. Yeah, he- This is only one episode in, so, I mean, we could go. it all could fall apart, but I really thought it was cool. Um, then we also needed something to watch, like, late at night when we're just upstairs, and there's, like, a right. perfect vehicle because they're, they're only, like, 18 minutes or 20 minutes. I'd heard a lot about this show, and, you know, it's just one of those things where I never got to it, but now we're watching it, and we're kind of getting sucked in a bit. It's called Better Things. I, I don't know it. Oh, no, I've heard the name. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it's a it's created this person Pamela Adlon. 
character actress for years, and she also does a ton of uh, cartoon voices. And so this oh, is interesting. A, yeah, okay. it's a thinly veiled show about her life being kind of right, a professional okay. actress who works steady, but isn't like major star. So she right, lives right. kind of like, I mean, she's probably shopping her kids off to gymnastics like with Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so we're enjoying that. Then as far as movies, uh, don't ask me how these things pop in and I watch them, but these are on Amazon. Uh-huh. So people could watch this. I caught up with a movie that I've seen a couple of times, and I don't know why I wanted to watch it again, but I did. I watched the whole thing again. It was Reds. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know that's, that's what I do. Um, and I, and I, 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 we might have some more to say about that a little bit later today. And then Farewell, My Lovely. Oh, yeah. This is a weird one. It's from the yeah. mid-70s. And it's a, um, you know, it's a Marlowe story. Yeah. And Robert Mitchum and uh, Charlotte Rampling and this actress, Sylvia Miles. What's awkward about it is it's, you know, that's a film noir genre. Right. But, you know, sort of Tale of Two Cities, you had Chinatown, like just a year before. Right. That, even though it was color, it felt like a noir. Yes. Um, And it may have had to do with a lot of the directing because- while the cinematographer, John Alonzo, was the same for both movies. <laughs> Fair, and, he, and, and I've had uh, – John Alonzo was like this classic yeah, yeah. cinematographer. But without anybody directing with imagination, left to his own devices, it's the most standard key lighting, very oh, wow. old okay. Hollywood. Like it, this movie had no style to it. And what year is it? Like 75. Okay, because I'm also thinking about uh, The Long Goodbye. Well, Long Goodbye is another one where it's a Marlowe story, but yes. it's a reinvention. There's a ton exactly. of style, and yeah. Vilo Zygmunt brings another level with his cinematography exactly. to that. But this movie is so flat, and like just the <laughs> oh, acting man. is so wooden. So it's like a TV movie almost. It feels like a TV movie, except that it's not, uh, you know, one three three, which might have been actually right. cooler because it would have had that classic style. Right. But it's so weird. I, I, I'm going to see if you can understand what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. I noticed this also in Downton Abbey. There was scenes where you almost felt like you could just that it was uh, edited where they had just hit the word like action. And that the clapper shut and you have a person who's almost paused and then they start acting. <laughs> and there's a couple of moments where you actually almost see the characters like take a pause and then they get into whatever they're going to say. Uh, and it's just – and it's a style of acting that ironically just – Sylvia Miles has like two scenes in this movie. Uh-huh. And she was nominated for an Wait. Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress that year. And I'd never seen this movie. And – it's like back. See, now they will give a, a best supporting n- nomination for a movie for someone who has basically a lead role, right? But right. in the seventies, it was really about people who had one or two scenes, right? It was the big star with the cameo almost, and they're always hammy overacting because I saw two of these type performances <laughs> in one week because I finished Day of the Locust. Okay, yes. Oh, and that's definitely got that, yeah. Well, Burgess Meredith was nominated for a supporting actor <laughs> in one of the most ridiculous hammy yes, performances. It ter- <laughs> it's it terrible. Is. It's terrible. It's terrible. That movie is not good. It, no, it's, that's, that's the thing is, unfortunately, it's leaving, I think, at the end of next week. This thing is a train wreck. Yeah, it is a total train wreck. I couldn't, yeah. like, it's just so, it doesn't make any sense, <laughs> no. except that the ending of the movie is amazing. 
Oh, yes, yes. There's yes, this riot, yes. and it's so yep. well-directed. <laughs> yeah. And and you get to see Donald <laughs> Sutherland plays one of the creepiest dudes I've ever seen, and he loses it, and he starts stomping <laughs> on this little boy who's dressed as a yes. girl through the whole movie, which I never they never identify, and I actually think that it's supposed to be a girl. I never read the book, so you would tell me, but I think that it's- I can't remember, yeah. I think the reason why they played it by a boy is because they knew that the end of the film was going to happen, and I think that theater <laughs> audiences in the mid-'70s would be so traumatized to see a grown man stomping on a little girl- Right. That they cast a boy to be stomped on, but he's dressed <laughs> as a little girl. It is a freaky movie, so- I wanted to uh, see these bit part movies and I was just shocked right, that right. Sylvia Miles was just, it was, it, it was got like. got a nomination for that. Well, wow. she played this alcoholic lush and Mitchum brings her over the bottle of uh, scotch or something, but it's almost like, oh, I'm acting. I'm going to grab this bottle and I'm going to pour <laughs> into a glass and then I'm going to drink. It's like, there was just, you could see every step of the acting along the way. So it's almost like they just shot their uh, rehearsals. It felt like, except for Mitchum. Mitchum actually is pretty good. And but his voiceover is better. <laughs> the best part of the movie is his voiceover, which is all of that Marlowe dialogue. But that that stylized dialogue only works if the movie is stylized. Right. It doesn't work yes, when it's it very feels stodgy. Total, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, so uh, so that's speak. what I've watched in the last week. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just didn't want to. Reds, wow. Well, we're, we could talk yeah, about let's that. Yeah, ta- let's talk about okay. that because okay. I, I think we're getting dangerously close to talking about uh, Oscars, yeah. about the Oscars. <laughs> so, so, hey, guess what? If you've been following along the last few weeks, we did the uh, 60s and then we did the 70s. And I said, well, we weren't going to do the 80s for a long time. Or I said, you know, but I lied. But you lie. Well, partially because I got excited about it. Well, that's good because I mean. And one of the reasons I got excited is because this is the decade in which I started watching the Oscars. And that is the same for me. I may have like watched like a few moments here and there and not know what the hell I was watching. Like, I think maybe the first one was like you was Star Wars. That time was it's nominated for some kind of award. What will it win? You know? Yeah. But yeah, so 1980 through 89, we will go through. And I think we can go through this pretty quick because yeah. you probably have seen most of these movies. Yeah, there's probably <laughs> a handful. And I actually, there's, there's one there's that I There's probably haven't. a handful, but there's also, you know, I have some weird gaps in, oh. in my film watching history. As you well know, I've, <laughs> there's like some very popular or well-known movies that I've just avoided for some reason. I'm looking at the list and I bet you I'm going to, this is, I think I'm going to spot them on every, on every year. Okay. okay. So we're going to dive in with the first year. And it's funny is that 1980 feels almost like a continuation of the 70s. Sometimes it takes a year yeah. or two to kind of get into the next decade. <laughs> Yeah, I can see. Yeah. This is what it, what all five of these movies have in common is that, A, they were all kind of uh, they were well talked about. Some of right. them were big hits and not a single one of these movies would get greenlit today. Oh, fascinating. It, certainly okay. they wouldn't be for theater. They might be like a, a, a special, like a, a mini series on streaming or something, but there right. would be no way they're getting greenlit. So here are the nominees. Ordinary People. 
Oh, yeah. Monster Smash, big talk, discussed film at the time. I saw it in the theater at the time. Of course you did, because <laughs> your parents, <laughs> yes, I didn't get to see it. I saw it on uh, VHS. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, and that was the big winner that year. Uh, director Robert Redford, he won yeah. Best Director. So, uh, Coal Miner's Daughter. Saw it in the theater. And I didn't get to see that in the theater, but it became a favorite of the family. Yeah. So it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. One of the, it, it, it like transcends its genre, I think. It's one and of the best uh, music biopic films, I think. Exactly. Yeah. But, it, but it, it becomes more than just a music biopic. It's like really a character study. And, and, and Sissy Spacek, she won Best Actress that year. Yes. Like the performance is amazing. Yeah. And she actually looks and sounds like Loretta she Lynn. She does. Yes, she does. Uh, probably a person who's also gone close to that is uh, Gary Busey. In yes. The, the Buddy Holly story. Yes. Looks and sounds like Buddy Holly. And this was interesting because that was one of the trends probably from the 70s to early 80s was the actor or actress had to sing the song. Yes. And, yes. and it was not like you're going to... Just, uh, you know, lip sync to that changed with the uh, sweet dreams with uh, Jessica Lang playing Patsy Cline. That's right. OK. Um, so anyways, uh, moving on, The Elephant Man, David Lynch. Yes. So I did not see that in the theater. I didn't either. It took me a few years and, and then I saw it on VHS and I was amazed. <laughs> so my sister saw it in the theater. Oh. And she's uh, about two and a half years older than me. And some of my parents' friends took her to see it. Okay. And she came home crying. Ooh. Oh, well, and it's a sad movie. So my impression of this movie initially was based on just the sound of my sister crying herself to sleep and having <sighs> nightmares because of this movie. Wow. That was my introduction to the movie. It took me a long time to see it. Well, I wanted to see the movie. And I was curious because, you know, they never showed who the elephant man, what he looked like in any of the right. the, the promotional materials. Yeah. And I was under the impression as a kid that they never showed him. Oh, okay. Or that you may like finally, like it was sort of that right. big reveal. What I was surprised when I finally did get to see the movie a few years later yeah. was that once he's revealed, he you see him all the time. He's revealed, yeah. And- I wanted to see this thing in the theater and it was PG, but there was, yes. it was a weird thing. Well, I would see a lot of movies and I was, I, I wasn't quite seeing movies by myself yet. That right. was happening maybe the next year would actually go. My parents kind of would say, well, I think that's probably too mature for you. You're not going to like it or you're going to be bored by it. Right. And right. So I couldn't see a movie I wanted to see. Yeah, I definitely was not allowed to see The Elephant Man after my sister saw it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And that sometimes can spoil it too, right? If you're, if one kid doesn't do well with it, they're not going to let the younger one see it. <laughs> they're definitely not letting the younger one see it, yeah. And then, of course, this is it. This is, this is funny is that, you know, over, over time, ordinary people, while it's a great film. Has not aged quite as well. As Raging Bull. Yes. Which didn't win Best Picture or Director. <laughs> And I also did not see in the theater. Uh, have you ever seen it in the theater? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, absolutely. I saw it in the theater. But when I got to see it is 1990. 
It was a Wait, bit, I think I think we, we may didn't. have seen it together. No, we did not. I'll tell you the, okay. I'll tell you the story. It would be very brief. See, this how this is going to extend the show. <laughs> because I, I'm pretty sure I saw in the theater around 1992. Well, so here's what happened. Right at the end of 1989, and so we're in the very beginning of January of 1990, yeah. all of these critics came out and voted Raging Bull best film of the year. Or the decade of the decade. The decade, yeah. And I had never seen it. I saw it uh, on video. I had seen it on video. And on video, it didn't really make much of an impact on me. So I go and it was played, decided to play it. I don't know if it was film form or maybe it was even at the Angelica. Some theater was showing it. Yeah. Because of that. And I had got, I got back early from, to to NYU that year. I was supposed to just spend some time like a week before classes started. And I had a lot of time on my hands and I went and saw a bunch of films that were playing. And I went by myself one night and saw Raging Bull. Okay. So you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a fantastic to see it on the big screen. So I think I saw it in that same release. You had to have. Yeah. Yeah, much better seeing it in the, like projected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally different. And I I remember uh, specifically when the reel changed to the the color part to the color part, and suddenly uh, the black and white was like slightly tint, very slightly tinted. It's funny. You're having the exact same sort of mental experience that I had. Yeah. It really is because you don't get that if you have the video. They don't. It won't be corrected. It'll be corrected. Yeah, it, It'll be corrected, but yeah, for that reel, that reel had to be printed on color stock. Yeah. And so it just, the black and white was very, very slightly. I mean, once you'd get used to it and then it just looks like black and white, but when, when the reel changes, it was very noticeable. You know, the one, the one thing that still stands out to me about that film is one thing that I always talk about when you're doing a period piece that you can you know, do the costumes, you can do the sets, you can have the hairstyles, uh, you can throw all the period music, but if, yeah. but to make a film look like it could have come right. out of that period, I think is very hard to do. And that's something that even in 1980 was hard to do. And Scorsese makes this thing feel like you're in the forties and the fifties. He does. But at the same time, what's interesting is he still does his Scorsese stuff. He still has these really interesting camera movements. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's shot the way he would shoot a film. But exactly. It, it but evokes it, a period. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's uh, no wonder everyone was calling it best of the decade. Well, it's funny is he wanted to shoot at 133 and the studio's like, OK, you're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, we're giving you a black and white and all this other stuff. <laughs> and then here's the fifth movie. That was nominated yeah. that year. And I this is a film that I've started many times. And I think it was one of these things where I could technically say I've seen it because I, I like on the background had it on, but I've right, never right. actually really sat down and concentrated to watch the whole thing is Tess. I have never seen it. I've seen the first, from what I've seen, it, it's interesting. I just haven't seen it. And yeah, I just, yeah. So, and of course, you know, now, now there's, now there's a a different taint, which is funny. If you read the, if you read the reviews back then, when I've actually gone back to the papers of 1980 and there's no talk of uh, Roman Polanski, the one that's a pariah today. No, there's no talk about that. Because guess what? He's the same pariah then that he is now. It just, people were different back then. They didn't care. Yeah. uh, Largely people didn't care. I mean, he just went on with his career. Yeah. There wasn't a single discussion. So one, even more recently with the pianist. Exactly. And now he's got a film that's supposed to be amazing and nobody's ever going to see it here. Yeah. No, no. It's, uh, 
it, it's dead. And we, that may be another discussion is like, you know, talking about, hey, films and filmmakers and things and it, under this lens today. And can we still enjoy their movies? And, right. But anyways, one film, but there's one film of those five that didn't get nominated for Best Director. And that was Michael Apted for Coal Miner's Daughter. Interesting choice in his place. And this okay. is a film that we could literally talk for the rest of the program on. <laughs> uh, and we won't. But just we're going to put a pin in it because you know that it's something we want to come back to because it was a journeyman film director. Uh-huh. He only made a couple movies after this and he never made a movie as good as this. This was his moment and it was a botched release. Richard Rush for The Stuntman. Oh, I... Oh, man. Yeah, okay, we could... <laughs> I told yeah. you. <laughs> That's a film we could talk about for a while. I'll just say that I saw the trailer when I was a kid. And you wanted to see it. More than wanted to see it. I was obsessed with it. I was too, and of course, that was, I was 1980. It was only a couple of rated R movies was I allowed to see. And if my dad went and saw it with one of his brothers, I was not going to get a chance to see it. Yeah, yep. Okay, we'll we'll put a pin in the stuntman. Yep, because I, I ended up seeing it in the mid-80s where I got my education at the Somerville Davis Square Theater, and uh, they would show a whole bunch of programming. So we can oh, talk right. about that another time. Okay. Wow, it only took us like 20 minutes to get through 1980, <laughs> and now we're on to 1981. So we, we probably have a lot more to say about these films because they tie into our experiences. They do. So maybe we'll only get halfway through the 80s well, today. We'll, we're going to see. Um <laughs> Okay, 1981, Best Picture winner, but didn't win Best Director that year. One of the very few times until recently. Recently, right. there's been a lot of splits. That's been happening more, yeah. But uh, Chariots of Fire. Oh. Another film that I wanted to see, especially when it won Best Picture. However, it was deemed, oh, it'll be too boring for you. Yeah. Even though it wasn't, and I liked it. But <laughs> that's just how things were. I was the victim of not being able to go to the movies myself. Yeah, my parents saw that, and I didn't see it until years later when I was working at the video store. And and I saw it on video as well. Then, this is another interesting Criterion tie-in. Another oddball was from early, early 1981, but somehow it was remembered at Oscar uh -huh. time. Atlantic City, Louis Malle. Now that, okay, uh, <laughs> see, every one of these movies <laughs> I have an experience to talk about. That's another one that my mom and I both wanted to see, and I don't think she pulled the trigger because it was rated R, yeah. she wasn't comfortable, but we wanted to watch it, and I had to see it on video. I, I saw it on video, too, and I, as a kid, I really liked it. You know, it was one of those, like, R-rated adult movies that's not overly R-rated, <laughs> that's a no, way to I say No, I mean, it. honestly, it's like, so PG-13 didn't exist, and I have right. to think about what ch slight changes probably would have been made, and that could have been a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of nudity, there's some swearing, yeah. but... But it was one of those movies that I saw as a kid that made me feel like a grown-up. It was so that's another thing, right? We're so now we're in 1981, and I just mentioned two titles of movies that would never be greenlit today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Atlantic City, and I gotta say this: I think Atlantic City is a hidden gem. Well, so okay, we didn't get to talk about this it's a couple of months ago. They showed it on Criterion, and I, yeah. I think it was Criterion. Yeah, and I dropped in on it. Yeah. And I don't know why, but oh, I know why, because another movie on Criterion Channel that I dropped in on, had never seen it before, was King of Marvin Gardens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was very, that's a weird one, but it's a great double feature with Atlantic City because they both touch on the seedy world of Atlantic City right. under transition. So in the early 70s, there was a transition happening in Atlantic City. 
And then in 1981, Atlantic City was just starting to bulldoze their buildings and create these huge uh, casinos. And so this is really in that beginning stage. Now, the issue I had with this movie that it never really gelled for me happened again when I rewatched it. Really? And that is, it starts off amazing. And then the last third of the movie kind of peters out a bit. Oh, okay. Also, the acting, and we just talked about this acting that was in like Farewell, My Lovely. There's a sort of stylized acting of sort of the old school, like Burt Lancaster. Yeah. It's a little theatrical and it's a little bit, well, here's one of the things. And I didn't notice when I first saw this as a kid, but it was very noticeable now. The screenplay is by Jean Guar. Okay. And he's a playwright. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think he wrote House of Blue Leaves and a few other things. It, it It's basically a play that was right. filmed instead of put on as a production. Right. And it feels very play. I mean, Burt Lancaster sort of takes care of this woman. He's like kind of a sugar yeah. daddy. And that everything in that room feels like a play. And everything he does feels like he's acting in a play. In a play. And of course, Louis Malle did a lot of theater. Right, right, right. So it's a weird mixed bag, okay, but it's still of a hidden gem. If you haven't seen it, I, yeah. I think you got to see it because you're not going to see a movie like it today. Very true. Yeah. And that's why I like, I like, you know, it's a very, it's shot on location. Mm-hmm. And so Atlantic City today doesn't look like Atlantic City then. Right. 40 years yeah. ago. I mean, so it's a cool movie, uh, but it's like it's mixed bag, but that also is what makes it a hidden gem. It, it is kind of, yeah. Uh, what else you got here? And we've talked about this before, actually, on the program, on Golden Pond. Oh, yeah. We have. I saw that in the theater. And I did, too. And it was a movie that I thought, because I'd been already brainwashed by my parents, that (laughs) things were going to be boring. I kind of thought, oh, this is what the Oscars are like. They put these boring movies on Golden (laughs) Pond, nominated, snooze fest. And then when it got nominated for Best Picture, I was one of those geeks that the marketing worked like, oh, it actually got me to see these movies. (laughs) I went to see it, I think, with my sister at a second-run theater. And okay. I was blown away by how amazing it was and how yeah. entertaining it was. I loved it. I, and I, yeah, I saw it before I saw it in, in first release, but yeah, I loved it. And I was super excited that it did well at the Oscars. Yeah. And, and again, people who don't know our friend Teal here, literally that is your parent. <laughs> It is. It is. <laughs> your, your mom's the feisty Catherine Hepburn, and your yep. dad is the retired school teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah, it is, it is my so parents. much. And of course, they've had they had literally like cabiny houses right on a pond and lake. They <laughs> had a house on a lake in New Hampshire. It's a, yeah. It's it's literally their story. <laughs> um, okay. Then uh, this is the movie that I still, if I look at all the nominees, this is the film that should have won Best Picture, should have won Best Director, and it isn't just the inner child talking, but it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Because it really was, it was more than just a big box office sensation to me. It was, a, it just did something that uh, those other films that I just mentioned did exactly. not do. Yeah. Yeah. We have talked about it quite a bit yeah. before, but I, I mean, who hasn't seen this movie, right? Kids so, today, maybe. I showed it to my daughter a year or two ago and she loved it. Uh, my littlest has seen parts of it, but he hasn't seen the whole thing. Okay. And then of course, here it is. 
the movie that won Best Director, it confounds me to this day because it's such an interesting puzzle that I had to see it three times. Uh, uh-huh. but most recently this week I finished it is Reds, <laughs> Warren Beatty's Reds. Okay. <laughs> but it's what's amazing is you watch this film and what I marvel at it is it is literally filmmaking that does not exist anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. This movie, the way it's written, the way the story structure, everything about it, it feels... Uh, it has intimacy, but yet it also kind of covers the the political worlds that like right, David right. Lean did with Doctor Zhivago, Doctor Zhivago, and also um, Lawrence of Arabia. Right. There are yeah. scenes that feel so much like those, like movies. Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Like he was going for the love story uh, of Zhivago, but mixed with some of the politics and sort of the white man savior going over. But this time the white man is over in the Russian Revolution. And what's fascinating about this movie is while you would think this particular person would have hated it because of the political subject matter. Right. Ronald Reagan was a huge fan of the movie. Really? Yes. <laughs> Did not know that. That's... Yes, they were actually thought that uh, Reagan and would have like found ways to like you know try to get people not to see this or whatever. But he actually really liked the movie, and I kept that in mind when I watched it again this yeah. time. And I think the reason why he liked it is because it told the story in a way that wasn't trying to glamorize anything. It was really matter of fact. And if anything, it's sort of that Rorschach test you're always talking about. You could watch this movie and make a case for the failures of what communism became. Right. Once the revolution. The Bolshevik revolution is a failure, right? Once they had to start governing, that's when the power plays started to come in. And that's what sort of happens at the end of the movie where it gets really, some might say, bogged down in a lot of the just scenes of uh, arguing and stuff. And you have these great moments with uh, Jerzy Kaczynski. Yes. Uh, And I'm just just fresh. I literally just saw this movie again. And then they try for this epic scope, which I feel is sort of a failure with um, Diane Keaton is trying to make her way to Russia. There's a lot of scenes where, you know, he's sending telegraphs and she's not getting them because she's on her way to Russia and how hard it is. And I think what they were hoping is that this movie would have been a box office sensation and people would have been really caught up in the love story. Right. But they weren't because the movie really wasn't a box office hit. No, it, I remember it getting a lot of press, but... Yeah, I mean, in critics, I mean, it got a lot of awards and it was nominated for tons of awards and it won, he won Best Director. And another curiosity, supporting actress, again, Maureen Stapleton, she has a ridiculously small role in the movie uh-huh. and doesn't have any like super like big standout scene. She's very good in it, but... Every time I watch the movie, I'm always prepared to say, well, maybe I wasn't paying attention the last time (laughs) and that her role was really bigger. It is not. It is very small. And she won an Academy Award for a very, very, very small role in a long movie. Okay, that's interesting. But I like these kind of movies. Like the the scenes that really tie it together is that he filmed over the course of 10 years all these what he calls The Witnesses. And you get some very entertaining um, accounts of, you know, the period from these witnesses and the movie, you know, his performance, he's actually kind of like a kind of a comic kind of guy. He's not as serious as you might expect that character to be. Warren Beatty is a comic kind of guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, you really see this like Warren Beatty. So it's a very interesting performance. And 
just the the one thing that's also another glue that holds it all together is this amazing Oscar-winning cinematography by Vittorio Storaro. Yes. It's this movie is so beautiful. Yeah. Because you you see all this beauty but it doesn't look lit. Like it's hard to explain. Right. It. Yes, it 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 looks very naturalistic. But, but yet it's very rich of the blacks. That's one of the things he can do. Yeah, the blacks are amazing. Yeah. So it, it's uh, again it, I it, I got to see it again. I haven't seen it since the 80s on video. It it just popped up in Prime and I looked and I said, "You know what?" This is a good movie I can kind of watch late at night and watch during, like, you know, uh, ironing clothes and all these other things. I'd... Okay, this really makes me want to see it again because it's been so long. So. Oh, well, I had, so years ago, I had a hankering to see this movie and I couldn't because it wasn't available anywhere. So I ended up buying the Blu ray because okay. I had only seen it like years and years ago on like TV. Right. And so I watched it and I had a very similar reaction, but now it's been about eight or nine years and I kind of checked in on it again. And it's, you know, it's an interesting film. It's a thinker's movie. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyways, that's 1981 and now 1982. <laughs> uh, here we go. Well, we still have, we, I'm watching the clock here. We have a little bit of time. 1982. <laughs> Gandhi. Saw it in the theater. Okay. <laughs> I saw it with my dad in the theater. I saw it with a with, with a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is pretty funny. Mom, um, the babysitter's going to take me to see Gandhi. Is that okay? And yeah, so the babysitter took me to see Gandhi. I think my parents were out of town or something. So it was one of those uh, babysitters who like stayed with us. Okay. For, for like a weekend. And it kills, it kills, it kills three and a half hours with with the intermission <laughs> so okay but that's so i saw this i didn't know there was an intermission right and so the intermission happened and i remember walking out into the lobby with my babysitter and i said that seems like a really weird way to end the movie <laughs> You're like it's not you just the first half <laughs> and yeah so she explained to me that it was just the intermission because i was really confused like why did oh, that's the end of the movie what Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's actually a really I, – I, so this was now – now 82, I'm immersed and invested in seeing yeah. these movies nominated for Best Picture when I could. Yeah. And three hours wasn't going to uh, hold me back. <laughs> and when Gandhi finally left the premier theaters in Boston and came to the suburbs – my dad wanted to, he liked epics and yeah. I said, oh, I'll go. And I, and I was, what I was surprised is I was expecting that I was going to be a little bored. I was fascinated. Oh, me too. Totally fascinated. I, and I went to school the next day and told everyone about it. Yeah. Here, you know what I like about, there's something in Gandhi, that there's a device, I guess it's the screenplay that I really like. And I think that when you're dealing with a biopic where the lead character is not going to make it at the end. Right. Which I'm going to spoiler alert for anybody. Gandhi gets, he gets shot. Uh, what I thought was fascinating and they they did this divide at the very beginning of the movie. <laughs> the same thing they did with Lawrence of Arabia, which is what I think is so genius. Yeah. They show the death as the opening of the film. Exactly. Yes. Because when you do that, you get that over with. And you, instead of like dreading, when's that moment going to come? Right. It's already happened. You And then you can focus on the life. Yeah. And I think that's a great device. Um, they don't do that too often anymore. The last time I remember seeing that, and it also was great, was this uh, little scene John Borman movie called The General. Oh, with Brendan Gleeson? Yeah, it's an amazing yes, movie. And yes. he's this gangster. Well, at the beginning of the movie, they show him get shot to death. 
Oh yeah, that okay. Yep, yeah, I've seen it. And so now, instead of being a, like like because you didn't know his story, you're shocked at the end, and all you're left with is the death. Instead, right. you're left with the adventurous life. Exactly. Yeah, and you don't have to think about the death. It's yeah, and the reason why John Borman told his story is because he was actually robbed by the general. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't and he know includes that. <laughs> his robbery in the movie. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. Um, so, anyways, uh, so so Gandhi. Now, Gandhi is a great movie. It was one. It won Best Picture and Director that year. But I won't forgive it because the movie that I wanted to win, and I really do think was the best film that year, was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh man, that's a tough call. No, it isn't. It's not a tough call. <laughs> it's a very easy call because Gandhi was a great epic. E.T. is a masterpiece. I guess you're right. So <laughs> it is. If I mean, yeah, we've seen it so many times and it's probably not the same impact, but come on, nothing had a cultural impact back then. No, like no you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> and we've talked about E.T. so we don't have to spend that much time on it. <laughs> yeah. I'll just, uh, my one little comment on E.T. is that as a kid, I didn't get that E.T. was drunk. Well, then you were just too too young, I guess. I got that he was drunk. I was too young. I, I didn't get that he sort of had a mind meld thing going with. Well, that's what I mean. That that Elliot was basically drunk, acting drunk in that scene. Oh, I that, see. You I, didn't. You didn't understand. Yeah, I, I was sort of getting it, but there was some. Yeah, I didn't quite put that together. That that's what was going on. And when I saw it, uh, you know, a few years later, I thought, oh, okay. Now that, that was just one of those things I sort of missed as a kid. Well, don't worry because today's filmmakers spell it all out for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Kid, you don't miss a punch. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so another movie that I, this was the one I didn't get, well one several I didn't get to see in the theater and I could have but I thought it was going to be boring and then when I finally saw it a few years later on video I was like oh this movie is amazing is missing Costa Gravis yeah I didn't see, I, I saw it a few years later too and uh, Jack Lemon right Jack Lemon says he's basic yeah Jack Lemon is. One of my all-time favorite actors. He's really good in this, too. Yeah, and he's really good. It's Yeah, I mean, he could do comedic stuff, but this is a really interesting, dramatic performance from him. Well, what's cool, if I remember correctly, um, and I, I think she was, too, or maybe she wasn't, but he was a Christian scientist. Yes. And so he's a kind of guy who's really by the book, and he wants to kind of believe the, the standard line of whatever any government tells him. And he has right. to go through a journey where he suddenly is unraveling something and he learns that you can't always trust. Exactly. And, and it's really- The authority. It, yeah. It's a great movie, but it's just also, again, the Academy loved those super important movies. It, yes, they did love. And the, when <laughs> when was last time we had a super important movie? Uh, well, it, they're just different styles. I mean, I it's guess- It's a different style now, but- you know what is sort of, I guess, a super, there's a couple that, that jumped to mind. And one you didn't see. 12 Years a Slave? No, 12 Years a Slave. That was very close to my top 10. That's an amazing movie. Yeah. Just such a difficult film to watch that that's well, yeah. it really is great. And shame on you for not seeing it. No, uh, is Moonlight. Oh, yeah. Okay. That movie is yeah. good, but I don't feel is anywhere near as great as it's been kind of touted. Right. And then uh, one of those that's sort of in the vein of very important, and it's weird. It's you, you don't. It kind of I don't want to say it falls flat. It's a great movie. You get really angry watching it, but it just doesn't have all those razzle dazzle moments. Right. Is Spotlight. I can. See, yeah, it, you're right. It doesn't have the razzle dazzle moments. I I enjoyed 
I enjoyed Spotlight, but I didn't love it. I I really like it and respect it, but yeah, I feel the same way. But it it didn't it didn't get its its claws into me. No, I I thought The Big Short got its claws into me a little bit more that year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Anyways, uh, so missing then another. This was the huge, huge, huge film. And if Gandhi hadn't come out, it really was going to be a battle between E.T. and this film because this was another film that when I saw it as a kid. Mm-hmm. In the theater, opening day, my mom took my sister and I, and I literally thought, boy, this is giving E.T. a run for its money. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Tootsie. Oh, yeah. I saw that in the theater, too. Tootsie was so hilarious yeah. at the yep. time. It's not, you know. I, you know, I actually, uh, I saw it again on video once or twice in the 80s, and I have not seen it since. And I think we talked about, because I recently, while we were doing this podcast, I, I saw it last yeah. year and I, I thought it was interesting. And then another movie, which I've seen, and I actually saw a few years ago recently, and I don't think it was ever that great. And it certainly doesn't hold up in my opinion. And it's yeah. not a bad movie. It's interesting, but it's just, it's dated is The Verdict. I like The Verdict. Yeah. But when was the last time you saw it? <laughs> uh, about... Two years ago. Oh, okay. Well, I, I saw it about two years ago and I thought it was okay. I just, I don't. I really like the screenplay by David Mamet. It is by Mamet. The only problem I have with it is the way that the movie concludes. He would have been disbarred and that would have been a mistrial. <laughs> well, that's true. You know? And they would do that all the time, like with uh, Injustice for All. <laughs> like what he did at yes. the end was basically going to be, a, like, if he really wanted that guy to be found guilty, he wouldn't go shouting out saying, I'm going to get him. You're out of order. Yeah. I played that as the beginning of one of our uh, <laughs> yeah, you openings. Did. <laughs> uh, but no, I actually really like the verdict. I consider it a hidden gem. Okay. Um, and I don't not like it. It's just, it's, you know, I just think it's a little overrated. Anyways. I, yeah. I also, I love Paul Newman. Well, he's great in it. He's yeah. absolutely great. Um, and it's fun because it was a movie that is actually shot in a lot of Boston locations. And yep. it doesn't it doesn't do what a lot of films do today where it's uh, in Boston and it just over Bostonizes the, the thing. It, this it looks, doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I have a great. Over, over Bostonized. <laughs> I, have the, I have the ultimate over Bostonized movie. Um, <laughs> Marky Mark, which is what my wife can just oh, that Marky him. Mark, that Patriots Day movie? Well, okay. So that movie is the worst, all right? And it's because I lived through it, and I was living in Massachusetts at the time, and it's so ridiculous. And what they did with that screenplay- it, Oh, no. just terrible. And having him be at every event. But apparently, that was so- okay, Yes. But apparently that, that team of director Peter Berg and him yes. is, is solidified because they've got this straight-to-Netflix movie that just came yes. out. And it's- um it's the Spencer Chronicles or something? Yeah, Spencer Chronicles, I think it's called. And I, it's I, basically based on the Spencer books, which was Spencer for Hire in the 80s. Yes. And yeah. it's reinventing that. And it is so bad. But we're Wait, watching. You, you watched it? <laughs> my wife you watched? My wife wanted to watch it. So we were watching it late at night. We haven't finished it because it's so ridiculous. Because my wife is yelling. She's like, that's like, she's like, why is that location not like that location? I'm like, you got to just, it's Bostonized. You cannot, you can't. You said, this is what you're worried about? The fact that, that they couldn't be here and there at the same time. And then that's nowhere near next to that because you recognize that location. I was like, but most people who aren't from Boston are never going to know that. But this movie is the worst thing ever and it's so great is that there's this comedian i think her name is like lisa schlesinger or something okay I don't she know. plays yeah. this sort of uh you know love interest whatever and she has the funniest ridiculous boston accent 
ever. It's just funny when somebody decides to commit that they're going to do this Boston accent performance. Right. And, and they should just not <laughs> do that because if you really want to do a Boston accent performance, you just won't do one. And that's the performance. <laughs> yeah. that Well, that's uh, Marky Mark has a Boston accent. Yeah. And so. he can put he puts it on a little bit much. But, uh, you know, oh, man. Hey, what's going on? Hey there, Teal. <laughs> Teal, I'm in Boston, but I'm in Cambridge. I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I'm from, you know, Massachusetts. I got to say, Peter, Peter Berg is one of my least favorite directors of all time. Journeyman auteur, Peter Berg. <laughs> oh, and that's because he actually thinks that he's an auteur. He does. He he's does. a terrible actor, terrible director. Um, uh, but Battleship was good. <laughs> I have not seen that. And I won't see that because I'm a... <laughs> I haven't seen it either. I've seen I... enough of Peter Berg. Didn't he also direct that Very Bad Things movie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at that. You know, I, I just want to check on the time. I can go longer, but if you can't, then we'll cut it. Uh, let's go a couple more minutes. Okay. Let's do one more year. <laughs> All right. 1983. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who knew that the 80s Oscars was going to be like four episodes? I know. Well, we'll have to pick it up <laughs> next week. So, again, 1983, Best Picture winner. And at the time, I thought it was one of the best films of that. It was definitely for me yeah. seeing it. Uh, it was a, an emotional experience. It was the first time I cried in a movie. Oh, oh no! I, I scratched that second time because ET was the first time. I was I just going to say. I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say. ET was the first time for me. Yeah, the, the second time was this movie, and my mom and I saw it. It came out around Thanksgiving of '83. And we went uh, like the day after Thanksgiving it was packed and it was in one of those theaters that before the multiplexes got all chopped up. Right, right. It was one of those long hallway that if you sat at the back of the movie, the lips might not actually match with the voices because it was so far away. <laughs> but uh, we had to sit like in the second row to the front and I just thought it was the greatest movie. And I've seen it again and I still like it, but it's definitely dated is Terms of Endearment. Yeah, I um I saw that again not that long ago. I think it was on Criterion for a little bit. Yeah, I, I saw it again not that long ago, uh, with like within the last five years, and it is dated. I I saw it in the theater at the time, and I thought it was cool. And I, but yeah, it it, it doesn't quite hold up for me. And, and I'm not taking anything away from it, but I just I thought it was one of the best films of that decade. Yeah. And now, definitely not so sure. Um, okay, so the next film. Huge, huge, huge hit for a certain generation. I caught it. I wanted to see it in the worst way in the theater, but it was another no-go. My parents saw it, and they didn't really like it that much. So, you know, they thought it was like whatever. And, of course, it was their generation, but it was the big chill. Oh, and your parents didn't like that? No, I had to wait till the next year when it came on HBO, and I'm like, why didn't they like this movie? This is great. Uh, But now that's like a classic, and I've seen it many times. Yeah, me too. And, And that was not nominated for Best Director that year. Okay, interesting. Yep. The huh. next movie, this is one that nobody has seen, but I saw this in the theater with my mom and my sister. It was a playing it didn't even play at a first run theater, it was a second run theater, but we went because we were interested and why it got nominated for best picture and it even got director over like The Big Chill and this right. other movie I'm going to mention, The Dresser. Yeah, The Dresser. Yes. Tom Courtney. Yep, yeah, I saw it probably on video a year later. Saw it once in the theater, and that was it. Yeah, I yeah, I, that movie's. Uh, uh, it's a scratcher I mean, all for I, me. All I have is my childhood impression of it, which was <laughs> that it was kind. It, it, 
you know, I, it was, I had this thing at, the, at that age where it was like, I wanted to be more mature than I was. And so I- <laughs> You saw these mature movies. So I saw these mature movies and thought I was like really mature if I liked them. Right. And so I wanted to like that movie more than I actually did. <laughs> right. I didn't. I, I saw everything that was nominated. At that point, if a movie was nominated for Best Picture, I was going to see it and I was going to see it in the theater right. if possible. And I I did my best. So that's why we went and saw The Dresser. And my mom wanted to see it too. She was all into, she liked the fact that I like to see artsy movies. So, yeah. you know, my dad would take me to kind of like the big boy rated R stuff and she'd take me to all these artsy things. Okay, The Dresser. Yeah, that is a forgotten movie. Uh, now, this one, it's funny. This was one that I think my mom wanted to see in the theater, and I ended up not seeing it till it was on, like, video. I found it a little disappointing, but I think this is a movie we've talked about and you really, really, really like is Tender Mercies. I really like Tender Mercies. So it's a movie that maybe I'd have to I'd, – I'd like to revisit it. If it comes on Criterion or something, I would definitely rewatch it. Yeah, I saw it again, I don't know, within the last five years. I've actually seen it twice within the last five years. Yeah, I really like that movie. It's, it's so quiet in a lot yeah. of ways. It's also short. I like that too. <laughs> I like uh -huh. this. It's like the movie's like that, hour and a half, boom. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half and it's just a, it's just two great performances and a great screenplay by uh, Horton Foote. That's right. Yeah. So, and that also got nominated for Best Director. Now- I mentioned that Big Chill didn't get nominated for Best Director. Yeah. This other film did not get nominated for Best Director. And this particular director has never been nominated. And I think he ruffles feathers. I think there's a lot that was with this particular film that I feel like the producer, who also was the guy, um, it was Alan Ladd Jr., Right. He was so aggravated with this director. Really? For doing things that he told them not to. Like they went, he went and filmed more stuff when they said, enough, your budget's done. That he really, um, I don't want to say torpedoed the film's marketing, but he wouldn't put his support behind it. And I have a feeling that okay. Alan Ladd Jr. is the reason why it didn't get nominated for Best Director. This is going to shock you because it's one of our, it's one yeah. of my favorite movies. And if I had to redo 1983, this was the one that I would have put his best picture over Terms of Endearment. The right stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. So I didn't realize that Kaufman was. Yeah. He's, he he doesn't direct a lot of movies anymore. He's he's older now too. But I yeah. think that he uh, ruffled a lot of feathers. But he didn't get nominated for best director, which is shocking. Now here are the two guys that did get director nominations instead of Big Chill and Right Stuff. One was Mike Nichols with Silkwood, the Silkwood Shower. Oh, interesting. The Silkwood Shower makes it, it makes a repeat appearance on the show. And, and I would think that if anything, right, Mike Nichols. The Silkwood probably should have been one of the nominees over been. the dresser. Yeah. Over the dresser, yeah, absolutely over the dresser. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I saw Silkwood in the theater. At the time. I did too. My sister and I uh, did. It was, it was this was the start of this Burlington Mall theater. It had four four screens, and there was this sort of legend that if your parents bought you the tickets, they'd let you into a radar movie, and the parents didn't have to be there. Oh yeah. I don't know if that was really true or not, but I just that was true. <laughs> that was true at my local multiplex. Well, we you, went with that. Your we parents went with the could totally send you into an R-rated movie. Yeah. yeah, my mom didn't care if we went and saw it. Right, but 
So my sister and I, my mom bought the tickets, and anytime we would do that, I always sweated it out thinking somebody was going to get angry <laughs> that we were in there, and they would tell it. So I was like, we're going to be as quiet as possible. Like, you know. <laughs> Slouch down in the seat. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't, don't make her, you know, don't, don't notice. You know, wear this old person's wig, Jenny. <laughs> 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 they won't notice you. No. Um, so anyways, uh, Silkwood uh, saw that. And uh, then the other film, which, you know, it's hard to un- deny because it is a classic and yeah. uh, if anything, also better than The Dresser and should have been nominated for Best Picture over that is Ingmar Bergman, Fanny and Alexander. Yeah, you kind of. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. How The Dresser. Uh, now I hate The Dresser. Oh, yeah. Well, let's not hate this The is, Dresser. but <laughs> No, this is making me hate The Dresser. It's just weird that Tender Mercies gets a director nomination, but the right stuff doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you know, again, oh, it's just the weird stuff. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Fanny and Alexander, another criterion. I, it may not be on Criterion now or not. I don't know. But it frequently, it, it, it rotates through Criterion. But if you've ever seen Fanny and Alexander, you owe it to yourself to do what yeah. I did when Filmstruck was still around right before it left. You got to see the full TV cut that he did for Swedish television. Oh, okay. It's it's. Jo- I have not seen that. It's broken up to like three parts or four parts. It's amazing. It really is. It is so – if that – if I had seen that entire thing in the theater, that, that that's like – it's it's easily one of the best films of the 80s. And it is uh... – currently available on Criterion Channel. Yeah, I mean, I know everybody doesn't have the time, but don't don't sell yourself short and see the short version when you can see this longer version yeah. because while I couldn't remember everything because it had been so many years right. since I had seen it originally and I only remembered like, you know, certain things stuck Images in my brain. Images and, yeah. There are scenes that aren't in the original that are on the, the regular director's cut yeah. that are so amazing and so fantastic that you can't believe that they weren't in the movie all along. Yeah, so it's, ama- oh, it's outstanding. It's definitely it's it's out of it's his crowning achievement, his magnum opus. That that five hour cut. It's so incredible. Okay, that I gotta watch it. You'd love it, and and you know what? I think your wife with her Scandinavian roots would love it too. I think she would. I know you guys won't get there <laughs> to see, but you know, <laughs> maybe you know with your you know with this with this sort of uh, permanent uh, staying indoors. We may get around to that, yeah. Of course, that might not be the best movie because poor Fanny and Alexander were stuck <laughs> and couldn't leave the uh, evil minister's house. So. Yeah, so maybe not. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe it's perfect because yeah, of that. Yeah, the movies that make you claustrophobic. <laughs> wow, you know, so here it is. It, now I don't. I thought we were going to have plenty of time, and we only got through four years of, uh, the, of 80s. the 80s. Well, I didn't realize that we'd have so much to talk about, but of course it makes sense that these were the movies that... We really wait till we get to the nineties. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to the movies much in the nineties. So yeah, no, go I don't quick. think I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, all right, well, we could stop here, or I could go with eighty four. It's up to you. Uh, let's stop here. Let's uh, let's pick this up next week. But if we go to eighty four, then we've got halfway through. Okay, okay. We'll do it fast. Amadeus, winner, best picture and director, eighty four. Loved it when I saw it in the theater. Haven't seen it uh, since the 80s. Yeah, I have, I've actually written a whole story about my seeing it in 70 millimeter, this big theater, the Charles in Boston. And for whatever reason, my dad, who just would never drive into town to see a film, people at work were talking about it. And he was like, I want to see this movie. And we're going to go, mom and I. And it was a Saturday afternoon. I have no idea what my sister was doing, but they said, you want to come? And I'm like, Sure. (laughs) And we went and the sound 
is so amazing. And yeah. for that film, I was riveted. Uh, I loved it. It gets a little long towards the end, but uh, I, I really did enjoy it. Then there's The Killing Fields, also nominated. Ah, uh, yeah, The Killing Fields. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. That's another movie that's a weird one where it's really good, but it doesn't kind of, it kind of, I don't know, it's just never great. That's why I groaned when you said it is because I feel like it just isn't as good as it thinks it is. I watched it a year and a half ago, kind of with that same, like, this is the time that it's going to be better because I'm older now. <laughs> and and it really isn't. No, it's good. And Hang S. Noor is great. Um, but there's just something missing in that film. Totally agree. Yeah. I, I did not like it as a kid. A movie that, because I'm a geek... And I went and I saw the theater and it was so entertaining. And it's actually a great book, too. I've read, I read the book. Is A Passage to India. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, yes, I uh, really liked that at the time. Saw it in the theater. Well, I'm a David Lean fan. So, you know, clearly yeah. and it was just it was his first movie since 1970. And uh, it was his last movie, too. So I enjoyed yep. that. Another. This is another one where I, I'm just I, at the time I thought, eh, it's really short. And it was kind of like the Tender Mercies feel right. to it. And I don't, I just didn't see what the critics saw in it. And I haven't watched it in like 30 years. So maybe I'd like it more as Places in the Heart. Yeah, I haven't seen that in so long. I really don't have. I mean, I saw it in the theater when it came out. I haven't seen it since. I, I, I just don't remember much about it even. I Not something that stuck with me. And then here's a movie that didn't do very well, at least in my parts. It wasn't a big hit, and yet that sometimes, I don't know, it strikes a chord with the Academy. And I watched it again, I don't know, about a year and a half, two years ago. And I also have the same problem where it's a short, it's based on a play, and it just kind of ends. And it's sort of like, oh, that's it? But I like it, and I love the performances in it. It's a soldier story. I've never seen it. Really? Yeah. It's it's cool, but it is it is based on a play. It feels like a play and okay. it kind of just it kind of ends very fast. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really have a good huh. pay. It doesn't have the great payoff. Uh however, what's amazing is there was an actor in it that this is the first time I had seen this actor and you watch this performance and I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's right. going to he's going to be a star and he became a star, Denzel Washington. Yeah. He's so good at it. One of my all-time favorite actors. So if you haven't seen it, you should check out Soldier Story because you get to see wh how this guy kind of pushed forward and said, I am going to be somebody. You're going to notice right. me because he's really good in that movie. Okay. I want to check it out then. And that's the only one of the of the five that didn't get nominated for Best Director. Huh. Here's what got director instead. And this was a movie that did not do well at the box office. Nobody saw it. It happened at the <laughs> beginning of that year. So how it got remembered at the end of the year, I don't know. I saw this in the theater with my mom because I had just started to get into this film director's movies. And I really wasn't old enough to fully appreciate it. And I just was kind of like, really? This got nominated for Best Director? Huh. <laughs> However, a few years later, when I was older, I saw it a second time, and I said, this movie is absolutely brilliant, and that is Woody Allen's Broadway Danny Rose. Oh. Yeah, that movie is totally brilliant. I watched yeah. it again a few years ago. I mean, this is another program that we'll get into, can you enjoy a Woody Allen movie? Right. But I loved this movie, and it is great, and it was really yeah. him at the peak of his powers, and this a brilliant cinematography yeah. by Gordon Willis, and it's just a simple, short, little 90-minute uh, film, 
and the framing convention with all these guys sitting around in, yeah. in the deli talking. Uh, I love it. I, yes, I, I'm right there with you on that movie. So anyways, that is the first half of the 80s. <laughs> anyway, people. So there's a lot of films that if you haven't seen them, and I recognize, you know, people have to go back and be like, oh, I didn't see this and that. Well, I would say a good chunk of those movies you can find on demand, you know, streaming or whatnot. Right. Maybe not the dresser. That's going to be kind of hard. <laughs> Yeah, and it's okay if you miss the dresser. I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not telling anybody to go dig that up. Yeah, especially now that you know that it got nominated for director and the right stuff did not. Just that's just terrible. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I think you and I have long, both of us have long loved uh, the right stuff, and I remember years ago us quoting lines. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's Is just that a, a man I see. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you used to always say, "Got me, got me, got any, got any beamins?" <laughs> yeah, got any beamins? Let's light this candle. Oh yeah, that's a that's a film that uh, we should talk again because I got I got some stories about that movie that okay. uh, it would just we're not going to do now. So anyway, hey, look, I got a feeling by the next episode <laughs> we are still going to be in self quarantine. Uh, so you know, uh, send us some emails. Uh... Contact us. Give us your uh, best of the decade list. I want to. I want more of those. Send those in. Or, or your recommendations of what people should be streaming uh, now that we're all, you know, uh, housebound. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Any good hidden gems on streaming? Anyways, as we part, uh, stuffweseen.com. That's where we're at, and also, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those good places. And you know, consider when you're you know clicking on these episodes to leave a comment and a rating. Those help, especially I guess on Apple Podcasts. You know, if we get some good ratings, that just might attract more listeners to check us out and. That's, Never thought of that. Yeah, yeah uh, that's what they say. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we're a nice little niche club here of uh, dedicated listeners, and and we love yeah. you. But uh, we're always willing to accept a few more people into the club. Great. All right. Well, uh, uh, stay safe, everyone, and we can't say go see some stuff anymore. <laughs> no, but we can say watch some stuff at home. Exactly. All right, there, Tilsy. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Shine, shine